0: This morning, and turn with me to Matthew chapter twenty-eight. Matthew chapter twenty-eight. Now, that you're on the page, you're on. I don't know what it's like in your Bible, but in my Bible, uh, Matthew twenty-eight, I can see the end of the the book of Matthew. Amen. All right. Uh, Lord willing, one more uh, message here in Matthew next week, and uh, we'll be done with this series. But I don't think we'll ever get done getting all that we could get from the book of Matthew. We could spend another three years there, I'm sure, and still find more things to learn. But if you'll take your Bibles and turn to Matthew 28, and we'll look at verses 1 through 15 this morning, and uh, we're going to be looking at the uh, resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus. Now, we probably think, well, this is a, uh, a resurrection Easter Sunday morning message, well, yes it is, but you know, every uh, Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. We celebrate the Lord's resurrection every time we come to church on Sunday, uh, because it's the first day of the week. But we want to look at uh, the resurrection of Jesus, as we have here in Matthew chapter 28 uh, this morning. In Earlier in chapter 27, it said, He saved others, Himself He cannot save. That's what the chief priest and the scribes and the elders boasted uh, as they gleefully gawked at uh, the crucifixion of Christ. Uh, They said, if he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. You believe that? Well, uh, would they have believed If Jesus had come down from that cross, of course, that is a preposterous question since Jesus Christ deferred any idea of coming down from the cross. But the Father's eternal purpose and plan nailed Him to the cross until the very end and when He could breathe His last breath and declare the work of redemption to be completed. But the religious leaders were not serious in any way. Jesus came down from that cross not in his own power but as a limp bloodied lifeless body that was cleaned and wrapped in linen by the gentle hands of Joseph Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus and then he was laid in a tomb and he came down from the cross as a dead man he was buried as we looked at last sunday he was buried as a dead man but 3 days later the dead man came to life death Sin and Satan forever defeated. The resurrection of Christ came forth in power and majesty. Now, that's not often preached in, in, in churches or uh, uh, other than on Easter. But here we have it in our study of the book of Matthew. Now, did the l- religious leaders believe? You know, they listened to the story of the guards from the garden tomb. Look again at verse 11. It says, And when they were going, behold, some of them, the watch came into the city and showed unto the chief priests all the things that were done. Uh, the chief priests, they heard the whole story. They heard the, about the sealed tomb, uh, about the quiet, and then about the sudden earthquake and the appearance of an angelic being as he rolled away the heavy stone. And then the tomb was empty. Yes, the body had gone; was gone, but the grave clothes and even the head wrapping lay there in the place as though the body had just vanished through the clothes. The angel paid no attention to us, they said, but spoke words of comfort to a few ladies that had come early to the tomb. Did we not tell you that the grave was empty? The religious leaders had the responsibility of investigating and understanding this most amazing supernatural story. And yet that would not happen. Instead of believing, they began to scheme and they began to concoct a false story to cover their unbelief. Look at verse 12. And when they had assembled with the elders and had taken counsel, they gave large money unto the soldiers, saying, Say ye, his disciples came By night and stole him away while we slept. Now, how could they know the disciples stole his body if they were asleep? I know some people that sleep with their eyes open, but they're not seeing much, are they? They couldn't have known if the disciples came. If they were sleeping, if indeed they saw the disciples, then why did these trained soldiers who were accustomed to battles and warfare just not overtake the scarcely armed and militarily deficient disciples when they saw them lumbering away with the body? You just have to use your common sense here and think about what was happening or what didn't happen. You see... Facts meant nothing to these religious leaders, and they were so bent on stubbornly remaining in their sin and their rebellious ways, they stood by the story that they had created, and they paid a handsome sum to keep it repeated until believing in the, instead of believing in the risen Son of God. And as someone has said, He has done something still more wonderful than coming down from the cross, yet they do not believe. No nor make further inquiry, but they simply bribed the witnesses to report a stupid falsehood. And then the story would continue even some 30 years later when Matthew wrote this gospel. We saw there in verse 15, So they took the money and did as they were taught, and this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. The church father, Justin Martyr, claims that the same story was being spread in his day in the second century as well. Foolish people, we would agree. But you know what? No more foolish than the multitudes of religious people in our day that concoct their own view and version of Jesus Christ, and they stand by it in spite of the facts of the Word of God. Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, calls for our believing response. The gospel is not left to our own imagination or literary creativity. It is based on an actual person of actual events that purchased an actual salvation for all that believe. Let me ask you this morning, do you believe in the risen Christ? You might say, of course I do, Pastor. Why would you ask such a question? Well, it's because no doubt you will meet someone along your way who doesn't believe it. They don't believe it. And if you don't believe it, let me, along with Matthew, tell you why you should. First of all, notice some testimonies to consider some testimonies to consider you know we must rely on the testimonies of those who witness the resurrected Christ uh you know for those scoffing at such testimony we off, uh we must not forget of all the great events of human history that we study uh you're all students of history ever since you uh, uh asked me to be your pastor you became a student of history even though you don't uh, you didn't think you were but you are uh just the way it is The Conquering Mastery of Alexander the Great. You remember him from your history books, don't you? Uh, Charlemagne and Columbus' discovery of the New World. How about Gutenberg's uh, invention of the printing press? How about Washington's uh, nighttime crossing of the Potomac? And how about Lincoln's Gettysburg Address? Now, all of those events rely on a verifiable testimony of different witnesses. And we have no trouble believing witnesses to these historical figures and events. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead appears to be a different story with many people. Why? To truly believe His resurrection is to confess faith in His atoning death and saving life. It says in Romans ten nine, For if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You know, we can believe in Washington's crossing the Potomac, and we can be inspired, but not inwardly transformed. We can believe in the Gutenberg uh, invented a, a wonderful thing called the printing press and we can find motivation to pursue our dreams and still we can be left in our sins and without hope in this world. But to believe in the crucified and risen Christ affects a whole person for all of eternity. Notice the first testimony to note is from the angel. Consider the angel that calmly bore testimony to the risen Christ. Now, I can't say this for certain, but the text seems to give some indication that the angel's descent from heaven to roll away the stone in front of the tomb may have touched off an earthquake. I know the angel came from heaven, and I know there was an earthquake, so how they were related, I'm not really sure. But it seems to indicate they are. Matthew is the only gospel writer to mention the earthquake, and he does so in such a way that the angel's descent is linked to it. Notice again verse 2, And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. He spoke of up in giving testimony to the, to the ladies there that, uh, that came to the risen Christ. He said, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus which was crucified. And he was right on all accounts. They were afraid. They were looking for Jesus, and Jesus had indeed been crucified. And so the language pictures the ongoing effects of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And then it further highlights that the crucifixion of Jesus was no mistake of tragedy, but divinely orchestrated for our redemption. He said, He is not here, for He is risen as He said. Jesus had been telling His followers that the day would come, when he would be accused and mocked by the religious leaders and the people of Israel, and then he would be crucified. And he expected it because he had come for that very purpose. Jesus also bore witness to his own resurrection, predicting that three days after his crucifixion, his resurrection from the dead would happen. And so the angel tells the women that it was as he said. I want you to notice those Three words, that little phrase in verse 6. As he said. Not one thing different has happened. No variations have taken place. Everything is right on schedule according to God's eternal plan. He further instructs them in case they think that what they heard was not real. He says, come see the place where the Lord lay. And the verb there expresses that Jesus had been lying there the whole time until the resurrection. Well, someone might assert, uh, How do I know that there really was an angel? And that the angel testified of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Well, it's because the Bible tells us so. That's just that easy. How do I know? Because the Bible tells me. And this is God's word. But we see that in quick response of the women to the angels, instruction as well as to the deathly fear that fell upon the hardened soldiers guarding the tomb. And so we have, secondly, the the testimony from the women. It was not the 11 apostles that first received the testimony of Christ's resurrection, but it was the women that followed him. They were the last to leave him at the cross and the first to hear the good news of the resurrection. And though a woman's testimony lacked weight in the ancient world, the Lord chose to reveal the glory of his resurrection to these women so they might be the first to know the hope of the resurrection and that they might be the instruments of the gospel as fellow heirs of grace of life through Christ. Surely the fearful apostles met both humility and joy as the Lord delivered the good news of his resurrection through these steady-hearted female disciples. The angel told them, Go quickly and tell the disciples that he is risen from the dead. Matthew tells us, And they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy, and did run to bring the disciples' word. What a sight that must have been in the days when jogging was not the norm. You know, I don't suppose that women did a lot of running back in those days. Every now and then you'll see some running the streets of Spooner, trying to get in shape. You know, That wasn't what they did in those days. But here they were running. It must have been a sight. Luke tells us that they returned from the sepulcher and told all these things unto the eleven and to all the rest. Their testimony sent the other disciples whirling, Toward the empty tomb. And so we have the testimony from the angel. We have the testimony from the women. And then thirdly, we have a testimony from the guards. The guards, it says here, showed unto the chief priests all the things that were done. And so fearful, so amazed by what happened, the religious leaders knew that they had to silence them. And the quickest way to silence their testimony was by giving them a large sum of money. As we've already noted, their false testimony was ridiculous, but it gives tr- testimony to the truth that Jesus was raised from the dead. Jesus Christ appeared to the women, his absence from the tomb was witnessed by the guards. Later, he appeared to the disciples who regularly testified of the resurrection of Christ and over to, uh, then over 500 brethren at one time, according to Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The scripture foretells the death and the resurrection and bears to- testimony to the fact that his death and resurrection. Now, the question that each one of us faces, do we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? crucified in a sin-atoning death, and raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. Do we believe it, and are we trusting in Him? And so there are not only testimonies to consider, but secondly, a message to proclaim. Folks, our church exists as a people who proclaim the resurrection of Christ. We live by the power of the resurrection at work within us. Our hope for eternity hinges on the resurrection of Christ. And so we don't take lightly the details unfolded in the resurrection story, especially as it relates to our proclamation of the resurrection of Christ. Notice, I think, three particular details that are crucial to our message. Number one is the empty tomb. The angel got the first chance to proclaim the resurrection. The angel said, come, see the place where the Lord lay. He did not say, see the place where he is laid, as though Jesus was still there. And the best proof could be found in what was not in the tomb, and that is the body of Christ. An empty tomb alerts us to three possibilities. Three possibilities. Number one, he did not die. That's a possibility. He did not die. Now, of course, I say it's a possibility. Of course, it's really not a possibility. But Jesus, you know, if we say, well, he didn't really die, but only swooned on the cross and managed to escape on his own from the grave. Of course, that definite spear in his side on the cross with the blood and the fluids flowing out and And that kind of demonstrated the heart of Christ had burst on the cross. Suppose that he had just fainted. Then how could one have experienced such a loss of blood by the scourging and the spear and still managed to survive the tomb? How could he move the sealed stone and how could he escape? No reasonable person would ever hold to this position. That's a possibility. He did not die, but secondly we have the possibility his body was stolen. He did die. But maybe somebody took the body and they hid it, so no one would ever find him. Couldn't be grave robbers, since the only real thing of value was the linen wrapping. And that was still there. His disciples were fearful, so much so that John was on hand at the crucifixion. Only John was. And they lacked the military strength to overcome trained soldiers. Besides, what good would the body have been to them? They still had no grasp of the resurrection at this point. That was demonstrated by the shock at every report of risen Christ. Theologically, it took several weeks after the resurrection for all this to kind of sink in. So they understood the necessity of the death and resurrection of Christ. So this option does not appear sensible to any thinking person. So the third possibility is this. He rose from the grave. Yes, Jesus Christ arose from the grave just as the angel told the women, He is not here for He is risen. As He said, He is risen from the dead. And that's the testimony of over 500 witnesses and testimony of the Scripture. That's what the Bible tells us. Peter preached at Pentecost. David's tomb was still among them. David's bones were still in the grave. But the tomb of Jesus? Nothing. It was empty. He had risen from the dead. That leads us from the empty tomb to a second crucial detail, and that is the risen Savior. The message of most importance and such importance that the angel told the women, go quickly, tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. Here was nothing to wait on until one could figure out all what this meant. They they didn't say, let's think about this a little bit. Uh, Let's talk this over and see if we can figure out what, what happened. No, just go tell it. Be quick about it. Jesus has risen from the dead. And what does this mean for those who believe? I think five things we could see there. First of all, we see the finished work. It declares to us that Jesus Christ finished the redemptive work the Father had sent Him to do. God's seal of authentication in Christ's death rests upon the resurrection. And without belief in the resurrection of Christ, one cannot be saved. And so there's an indication that this is the finished work, and that's an important truth. Secondly is new life in Christ. It's the ground of certainty for our own spiritual resurrection to new life in Christ. As we are in union with Jesus Christ by faith, we are joined to His death and His resurrection. That's the basis for what Paul was saying in Romans chapter 6, verse 11, Likewise reckon ye also yourself to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. It is the reason we can present ourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead. The varied aspects of our body is... Instruments of righteousness unto God, as it goes on to say in Romans chapter 6. And then, there's another truth here. The resurrection teaches us eternal hope. It's the foundation of our eternal hope of our bodily resurrection. Paul's argument in 1 Corinthians 15 bears this out very clearly. Picturing Christ's resurrection as the first fruits of them that slept. The resurrection of Christ assures all who have faith in Him of their own bodily resurrection. And then, fourthly, it gives us assurance. Assurance of eternal life. It's the assurance that eternal life is eternal. That death has lost its sting and power over all that are in Christ. And then, fifthly, we have the truth of the local church ordinances, It's the reason baptism of believers is a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection. We also celebrate the Lord's death for us as we observe the Lord's table and as we worship on this Lord's day, the first day of the week. Now that's why the angel told the women to be quick about proclaiming the message. And I think it's wise that we be quick proclaiming the same message in our day. There's a third detail that's very important and is a certain encounter. A certain encounter. The angel told the women that they would certainly encounter Jesus Christ alive from the dead. Behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him. Lo, I have told you. After encountering Jesus in the early moments of their obedience to the angels' instructions, he assures them, "Go, take word to the brethren to leave for Galilee, because he's going to be there, and they're going to see him there." And don't you know their hearts were probably beating pretty fast as they thought about truly seeing Jesus? They certainly carried that certainly carried them along in the fearful days, and the with hope and joy knowing they would see Jesus. And you know what? That's to be our hope and our joy. There is coming a day when we're certainly going to see Jesus. John puts it this way. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, and we shall see him as he is, and every man that hath this hope purifieth himself even as he is pure. There's coming a day, a certain day, when we're going to see Jesus. That should be our hope and our joy this morning. But then thirdly, we come to Christ's To worship. We see only two responses to the resurrection here in this text. Either we worship Jesus Christ as the risen Lord, or we deny the resurrection in some fashion so we can excuse ourselves from submitting to Him as Lord. The guards and the religious leaders, they were denying the resurrection. The women, as they encountered Christ, they worshiped. Notice, In verse 8, it tells us they worshiped in fear and joy. They departed quickly from the sepulchre with fear and great joy and did run to bring disciples' word. Fear takes place when we don't fully understand what's happening to us and we'd like to be in control of every detail of our lives, wouldn't we? But sometimes we're not, and so we're fearful. But the resurrection of Christ defies our complete understanding. We fear because we recognize that we are in the presence of a living God, recognizing our weakness and frailty. We're fearful when we encounter the omnipotence of God. But we also have great joy. Great joy at the news that we have a Savior who is raised from the dead. And knowing the deepest satisfaction in His death and resurrection, we rejoice in worship. We find our fulfillment in Him alone. Our joy rises in anticipation of one day seeing Him face to face, and so we worship. Secondly, notice this worship is a worship of a real person. The Christ the women worshipped was not a spirit. Verse 9. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, All hail, and they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. They didn't reach out to grab his feet and come up with air. They came up with something real. To worship anyone but God is blasphemy. But this one is God in the flesh. They grabbed hold of his feet in acknowledgement of his worthiness and their unworthiness, and they worshipped him. And we join them in worshipping a real person this morning. We're not worshipping a myth. He's real. He's risen. He's in the world today. You can walk with him and talk with him. It's not a figment of your imagination. He's a real person. And then this worship involves comfort and hope. Comfort and hope. The whole story of the resurrection gives comfort and hope to the believer. The angel's announcement that the tomb was empty gave hope. They would see Jesus. That gave them comfort in their sorrow. And thinking they would never see their wonderful Lord again, they found comfort in knowing that He was alive and would meet them. Jesus gave special comfort. Notice, he calmed their fears. He said, be not afraid. Why should the child of God be fearful when he or she belongs to the resurrected Lord of glory? And that being the case, we still struggle, don't we? Thinking that he might reject us because we've sinned so much or we've failed so much. Maybe you've that yourself. You say, I don't deserve you, Lord. I've done so many bad things in my life. I just, I, I, I can't believe it. But Jesus says, be not afraid. Perhaps part of the women's fear was that the risen Christ would reject the disciples that failed to stay with him in his arrest and crucifixion. As someone has suggested, weak, frail, erring as the disciples were. Jesus still calls them his brothers. You see that there? He allays their fears and gives them most comforting word. He says, go tell my brethren that they go into Galilee and they shall see me. He hasn't given up on them. In spite of their failure, he still calls them brethren. It's by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that the Lord calls us brethren. Listen, the source of our comfort and hope is not in our level of performance, but in the reality that we have a risen Lord. The writer of Hebrew tells us that due to the suffering of Christ on our behalf, he is not ashamed to, be, to call them brethren whom he sacrifices sanctifies. And so when the religious leaders scrambled to come up with another story, about the resurrected Christ the disciples worshiped. And when all the world around us seems to be rejecting the Christian message, don't be fearful. Don't lose hope. Worship Christ. That's really what it boils down to us each of us this day when we're as we take a look at the resurrection of Jesus Christ, either you worship him or you scramble to concoct your own reason why the resurrection's not true and why it's meaningless and why it doesn't apply to you. Folks, the testimonies are clear. Jesus Christ is raised from the dead. Do you believe in Him? And are you proclaiming His message and worshiping Him with your life? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven.